You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. Imagine cold calling a C-level executive at a Target account where he or she personally picks up the phone and agrees to a meeting because they just happen to be seeking a solution like yours. Stop imagining and start dialing with DiscoverOr, the world's leading prospect intelligence platform. Visit discoverorg.com forward slash SDR to learn more. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am honored and blessed right now. This is a gentleman that I've been trying to get on the show for months. I am so glad that we could make this happen. Mr. David Cancel of Drift. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well today, David. I'm rocking. I'm excited to be here. I love how diplomatic you were about that opening. He <laughs> was trying to say that I was a pain in the butt to try to get on this show, which is true, but I'm here now and we're ready. Well, you know what? It's interesting. You can tell kind of with the guests, if there's handlers involved, if they've got like <laughs> handlers, you know, uh-huh, that's, uh-huh. That, that it's going to be a little bit more tricky. And you, you do, have you, you have a few layers of handlers. <laughs> <laughs> I need more layers. I need more layers. There's still people getting at me. I, I know. It's amazing, dude. But thank you again. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If you guys don't know David, it's ridiculous. You should know him. I, the guy, I, I've spent like all this time learning about your background. You've got four exits. You've been a mentor in the tech industry to all these different companies. Now you're absolutely knocking it out of the park with Drift. But I'm really interested also going back further. I want to take the memory, you know, the Wayback Machine. You've got... Careful. Uh, <laughs> how much time do we have? Dude, we, you've got a fascinating background even beyond, you know, getting into tech. So... Tell us a little bit about, you know, David and how you came to this point. Sure. So that's a long story. (laughs) I have a lot of gray hairs. So I'll do the shortcut version. I was, so I grew up in, I live now in Boston where we have Drift and uh, I've been here 18 years, but before I grew up in New York City. So I grew up in a very different New York City than the New York City you visit today. So New York City today is a Disney world with lots of Gucci stores and lots of fashionable places you can go. And where when I grew up, there was kind of, you know, a little bit sketchy, a little bit dangerous. This is pre cleanup of of New York. And so I grew up in the Bronx and then uh, moved to Queens, if you know where that is, and grew up there. And, you know, I'd say my parents both emigrated uh, to the US, common story, especially in Queens and in New York. And, and I grew up kind of pre internet, not knowing what was possible. And I think what I'm trying to do now through my own podcast called Seeking Wisdom and through speaking and being on your podcast is I'm, I have this hidden agenda, right? I have this goal, which I've never talked about publicly. And that goal is that I want to help a million people discover their true potential and start to achieve, get on the road to achieving that potential. And the reason that I mention that now is because, one, I've never mentioned it before. And then two, and so I want to give you an exclusive, and two... That is pretty much what's defined my whole life. You know, I didn't know. I grew up in an environment, especially I mentioned pre-internet, where I didn't even know what was possible. I didn't know that it was possible to start a company. 
as as dumb as this sounds to to most of the people listening today, there uh, you know it was a different time, and even today there are people that really don't understand what their true potential is because they've never had the right role models, they've never had been around the right people, and maybe they didn't read the right books or listen to the right podcasts like this one. So they don't really know what what they're capable of, and uh, my life has been the Forrest Gump of stumbling my way and discovering what what I'm possible, what's possible for me to do. And that's why I'm I'm so excited to talk with you because tell me more about this vision that you have, this goal. I think we're of the same kind of generation where I didn't know anything about what we're involved with today. And the explosion of the information on the internet is so Mm -hmm. amazing for kids coming up because I literally thought a company was like a name on the side of a building. That's what (laughs) I mean. The same. I feel dumb even when I say it out loud because I'm like, because people are now growing up, everyone that I meet who's young is growing up in this world where they know everything. They want to be an entrepreneur and they know this is possible and that and they want to like, couch surf and they want to go around the world and they want to do whatever. I don't even, I'm trying to think what age I was, maybe my late twenties, thirties, before I even left the United States, right? Like I didn't even know, I didn't even understand how you would, someone could go on a trip around the world. Listen to how dumb that sounds, but it was a different world. Like you grow up and these things become self-limiting beliefs that you have. And then all of a sudden, you know, you stay in your neighborhood and you never leave the neighborhood and everyone else is of the same mind and you kind of grow up thinking like this is the most that's possible right and you never think beyond that and so i've had the fortune and luck because it's a combination of all those things to be you know like forrest gump to be and probably most of the people listening here are too young to know forrest gump is so you have to wikipedia that <laughs> to kind of be in the right place at the right time and to stumble my way in and say and look around at those people who were doing things that i didn't believe i could do and say wait a second they're not that smarter than I am. They don't, hmm, they don't really know something I don't know. I can do this too. And then I, all of a sudden, guess what? That self-limiting belief goes away. I'm able to do what they're doing. And then it happens all over again. And I stumble uh, onto another group and I do the same thing over and over. And that, that has been my progression in my career. And I'm trying to save a million people from having to stumble their way there, right? And having to learn as I did the hard way or the accidental way, uh, what is possible. You're, sh- you're shaving 20 years off of someone's <laughs> learning curve. Someone's hopefully. life, yeah. And I, 20 I years of pain. There's a huge problem in the world right now of people that they follow along with the structure that was like yes. laid out in front of them. And then they get into their career five years, 10 years, and they're like, I don't know who I am. I, I, I don't know what I like. And I'm mm-hmm. stuck in this. Now I've got a mortgage. Now I got kids. And it's just like, holy crap, what do I do? So tell us, you know, what, what's your advice? <laughs> like if someone's either entering or in that situation? A couple of things. I'd say stay, <laughs> stay frugal. I like the, uh, you know, Dave Ramsey. If you don't know who he is, he has a podcast. His like, you know, live below your means, you know, or my idols are like Sam Walton, you know, drove a pickup truck with uh, dogs in the back when he was a billionaire and the richest man in the world. So stay frugal, which was important in my, for me and important for people because you don't put yourself in these traps, right, which you mentioned. Like once you start upgrading, start living, keeping up with the Joneses, then you set traps for yourself that you can't escape. And you don't want to be, as Dave Ramsey says, you don't want to be normal because normal is in debt, you know, panicked, you know, broke with nowhere to go, right? That's normal. 
you don't want to be normal. You want to be weird. And so I was able to do that in my career, not because I had the fourth, uh, the foresight to, to know to do that, but because, again, in the environment that I grew up, no one ever expected anything of me. Right. You know, that to some people that might be that might sound sad, but actually was an advantage for me. No one that I grew up with, including my parents, ever expected that I could do start a business or do any of that stuff. Right. The best that they hoped for me was that I would get a job somewhere and that I could wear a suit to, you know, to a nine to five job and be an accountant one day. And that was the biggest dream. Right. So no one expected anything of me. And so I didn't have anything to lose on the flip side. You know, where so many people that I was meeting along the way who were smarter, who had better backgrounds, who had grown up with more advantages. And for them, they had a lot to lose. And so they were panicked. You know, they were trapped and they were trapped themselves or they were born trapped. And I just had I had this freedom that came from, well, no one's ever expected anything of me. What's going what's the worst case that's going to happen if I do this thing doesn't work out? I'll just go get a job just like everyone else. Like, what's, there's no downside, right? We, we live in a world where there's many of us. If you're listening to a podcast, you're blessed. So, I, you know, I hate to break it to you, right? I got in a discussion yesterday on Twitter because I posted something about luck, and everyone was basically on a tirade about, like, that everyone, every, every success story is just 100% luck and this. And I'm just like, look, if you're reading Twitter on a $1,000 phone, you're lucky too, right? <laughs> So like you are lucky. We were all lucky. Like this is too meta. Like if you're listening to a podcast, you are lucky, right? Look at the world. Like you are among the lucky. So it's not like, you know, don't spend your time creating more self-limiting beliefs around like, well, Dave Delaney is way more luckier than I am. That's why he has this podcast. Uh, he, he's way more lucky. No, you're probably just as lucky as he is if you're listening to a podcast. So get after it. I love that. And and so why, you know, that's so interesting because a lot of people's parents put a lot of pressure on them. Like you got to mm-hmm. fit into this, you know, mold that the parents put on their kids. And what you're saying is that you didn't necessarily have all that pressure. Why did you, you know, start to stumble into these things and and forge your path like that where you know, s- some people would just kind of drift, drift along, no pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah, would, yeah. They, they would, they would just be, there'd be rudderless almost, uh, it seems. Because for me, you know, I, I didn't play many sports, so I didn't know if I was competitive or not, but it turns out I am. And uh, what happened along the way was enough people told me, so on one side, people didn't have expectations. And that way, if it was just about not having expectations, then I probably wouldn't have done pushed along, as you said. But on the other side, I had people who told me that I couldn't do something, you know, who actively said, oh, you can't do that or you, you're not you're not qualified for that or that, you know, just said enough like that the enough started to build up inside me that I just wanted to prove them wrong. And that was what was motivating me. Like I was going to prove the people who told me that I couldn't do X or Y or Z or this or that that was crazy. I was going to prove that they were wrong. And as, you know, petty as that sounds, that's the truth beyond for many of the people that you find that are going out and trying to achieve something because they're trying to prove to themselves or to someone that they could do something that other that people thought they couldn't do. Okay. And then when you, you know, felt that way, mm-hmm. is that, do you feel like that's what um, pushed you to keep achieving all these things? I mean, the, 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 the track record of achievement is off the charts here. Yes, it's still 
today I still feel like I haven't achieved anything. I just feel like <laughs> uh, that's 100%. That's, I'm not kidding. I don't feel like I've achieved anything. I feel like there are a lot of people, you know, uh, with our current company that, you know, we have a lot of people who promote us and a lot of great people uh, who have supported us, including yourself. But we also have a lot of detractors, right? Silent ones and vocal ones. And, and they fuel me to want to keep going and to prove them wrong. Okay. And so that, that fires that in, innate uh, competitiveness that you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's something. And then you talk about luck. Like I'm interested in this Twitter battle that you got on. <laughs> and so what, what was the, the one side was saying that success has a lot to do with luck. Is that correct? Or, or was it um, that they were saying that luck isn't involved and it's just all hard work? No. So, you know, basically I had written a tweet and that tweet said, because I like to say things on the, on the Twitter. Uh, but basically what I said was, I said, look, the number of entrepreneurs that I've met over my career, thousands, right? Percentage of those entrepreneurs with a four hour work week, zero. Oh, I saw this. I yeah. saw this. Okay. Okay. Go, per go, go. I love this one. Percentage of those entrepreneurs with fully automated income, zero percentage of those who were overnight successes zero and then the last one and this is what the one that got everyone going percentage of those entrepreneurs who just got lucky in quotes zero and so their argument that it keeps going on here for days now was that oh they that basically that it's not zero that they had a lot of luck and this and that and whatever and i you know my what i said was just got lucky that it was just luck right and so they just went on tirades about like they're lucky, they're not, they grew up with uh, money, they had this, they had that. It was just a bunch of limiting beliefs. And, and the reason that I'm bringing it up today is that I thought in some of these, I had some private uh, Twitter messages with some people that I know who, who just couldn't let it go. And I said, look, this is a self-limiting belief that you are trapping yourself in. If you are spending all this time arguing about a fictional thing that I made that I just said, right? I didn't name any entrepreneurs. I'm just saying this is what I've noticed. And that you're arguing so passionately behind that they had some magical luck that implicitly you didn't have. Then you're creating a cage for yourself. You're limiting yourself because you're walking around with this belief in your head that these people in the world are just way luckier than I am. And my and um, my point to them is like, look, you're on Twitter sending me these messages. You're just as lucky as they are, right? And you were in the right in the same place as they were. So uh, maybe they were a little bit luckier than you, but not a lot more luckier than you. And maybe you should focus your energy on getting rid of that self-limiting belief and getting out there. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, it's funny because over the years I've thought about luck, and at first it's like. The initial thing is, oh, he just got lucky or she yeah. just got lucky. And then and then as you mature, it's kind of like, well, no, it's actually you have to work your ass off, you know, and, oh, and be doing the right thing. But then but then it's also like, well, there is some degree of luck involved 100%. in anything. Like 100%. I for some reason we got lucky enough to be born in the United States. Yeah. And, and you hit the lottery. in the Bay Area, I hit the lottery, right? And mm -hmm. uh, on so many levels. But and and I, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. Because that point is a great one that Warren Buffett always makes that look, he was uh, that he was incredibly lucky to be born in the right place at the right time that his skill was 
that first that he was, you know, beat the 50 to one odds to to be born in the United States. And then two, that he was born at a time that valued the skill that he had, which was the skill of evaluating companies. Because he said, you know, Bill Gates often reminds him that if he was born a few hundreds year, years earlier, he would have gotten eaten by a lion because he can't run and he can't see and he's got no athletic skills. So, of course, he was lucky. But, you know, then, you know, there are these people arguing with me and one of them was arguing about all of a sudden he uses the worst example, which is Mark Zuckerberg. And he said, Zuckerberg has proven himself to be incredibly savvy, but he was in the right place at the right time with Facebook. And it's like, really? You think a guy worth $76 billion was just lucky? Nothing else. That was it. He was just right. Play. That's it. That's all that happened. And he's like, come on. I don't know him, but I doubt that's all that that happened. Was he lucky? Was he lucky to be born in the right place at the right time? And did he have lots of luck on his side? Of course. But we all do. Yeah. And no, it reminds me, there's a guy named Jim Rohn. Who, oh, I who, love Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn, Jim Rohn right? And, and Ooh, it always comes back to Jim Rohn. <laughs> total, always. Total That's what I tell everyone yeah. here. Mm-hmm. They, they they bring me some, you know, some guy saying something. I'm like, Jim Rohn already said that. That's it. <laughs> I go, listen, I send them old, you know, now they're online, but they were cassette tapes, basically. But go listen to Jim Rohn, this Jim Rohn book, right? Go listen to Jim Rohn tape. And they're always blown away. Well, it reminds me too, because one of the things you said, and I'm just paraphrasing, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're given, you're given the, the earth and the, the water and the, yes. you know, the stuff and, and, and then there, there's the seasons, but you're kind of, you're given these things and it's like, what do you do with them? What do you do with them? The luck mm-hmm. part comes in on being given, you know, the ability to do something with all this. Yes. That's yeah. that. Okay. That's the luck. And okay. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, got whatever, uh, it, it, some versus someone born in Africa. Yes. The sure. luck is completely 100%. different. Uh, not to diss Africa, but you know, those no, parts, no. parts where it's more difficult, but the luck is different, but it's like, okay, now one other thing he, he, he said was it's the set of the sale. It's like, we're out yes. on the sea here. How are you going to set the sail in a way that guides you toward a, a successful life? I love that. I love Jim Rohn because I love that, that first example that you were saying where he, he talks about the farmer and the farmer planting the seeds. Yeah. And he said, look, you have to plant the seeds. You have to uh, be there and wait throughout the seasons, right? And you can't be there. And this is what I feel a lot of people are doing and say it's the middle of winter and stare at the ground and say, why don't I have any vegetables? And someone comes along and says, did you plant the seeds? No, I didn't plant the seeds, but I want some vegetables. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. You got to plant the seeds. You got to sow the seeds. You got to take care of them. And then you will have the vegetables. Then you will reap the rewards. Yeah, it's it's radical realism. And mm, observing, you know, observing what's going on and being like, okay, I have the ability to think and use my experience to make something here. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I look at... Um, your experience in working with these companies and putting it t- together, you know, there's so many people that have struggled to create an entrepreneurial journey like yours. And the, a lot of companies go out of business almost within a year or two. And yet you've been able to take some of these companies like Ghostery. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I still use that. I, I use that. <laughs> it's still in my Chrome. I use no, Drift awesome. every day. What is different about you than the 99% of the companies that just fail, they go sideways. Mm, I think, <laughs> good question. I don't know. One day, you know, I'm still figuring things out and I hope I'll be 95 years old one day and still figuring out if I know anything or not. 
but you know Charlie Munger says he still wakes up and then he doesn't know anything. He knows he doesn't know anything. So you know, I think I think a lot of what I see happening that I've been able to get over, and it's taken, and it, it's a daily battle. I battle with it every day, every single day, and that's why I I talk about the things that I do, read the books that I do, tweet the things that I do. These are all reminders to me, right? That even though I'm putting them out there, mm. I'm just talking to myself because I need to remind myself because it's so easy to regress. And I think the thing that I kind of figured out by pain and suffering, which I'm trying to uh, save all of you from, that you're listening, is to be able to have some level of humility and uh, to put away the pride and listen to the customer, get close to the customer and worry about solving the pain of that customer. Because, you know, as Peter Drucker says, the sole reason for a business, for a business to exist is to serve a customer. There's no other reason. But so many of the entrepreneurs that I met, including myself, my especially in my early days but i still suffer this with this today is we let our own pride get in the way and that it clouds us and it blinds us and what i mean by that is that we have we come up with some idea that the entrepreneur right some idea some concept something something that they want to fix in the world and most of us become so blinded with that the pride wrapped up in the thing the thing that i created the idea that I had, that we we stop listening to the market, we stop listening to feedback, we stop listening to the customer because we are just worried about you know the manifestation of our idea and the pride that's wrapped up in that. And I, I did that and I still suffer with that every day and I have to fight it. And what will happen will, will be that you will not get enough feedback and that you will take that idea usually and you will run it right into the ground. Right. Because you were too prideful and to be able to listen to the customer, listen to the market to understand if anyone ever cared about the thing that you're that you're doing. And so, you know, I started with this premise of like, it's not about my ideas. I don't care about the ideas. It's about solving this problem. And I'm willing to be wrong and I'm wrong every single day. I'm willing to take that beating from the market and take that beating from the customer every day. And I'm, I'm telling you, taking that beating every day does not feel good. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. To have your ideas rejected, to have people tell you you're wrong, to have uh, people maybe laugh at the thing that you did or proposed or what have you, it does not feel good. But, you know, the only way to grow is to lean into things that are uncomfortable. How many more meetings could you set if your team made three times more calls per day and connected directly to decision makers? How much bigger would your pipeline be if you booked 20% more meetings this month? Don't wonder. Check out DiscoverOrg at discoverorg.com forward slash SDR for personalized demo. Okay. Wow. There's a lot here. So you've got a pretty thick skin then because you've been putting <laughs> yourself out there like this or maybe for I enjoy 20 pain. years. Yeah. Maybe I just enjoy the pain. I don't know. Masochist. And the, and and so the, and you touched on something interesting. You said getting out of your comfort zone is where the mm -hmm. growth is, and you see that every single time. Tell me more about that. Every single time, I don't know. I don't know why we we don't see this, including myself. So when I say we, I include myself. I'm at the top of the list. If you think about any big period of growth in your life, it involves discomfort, whatever it is, right? So you want to get good at some sport. You want to lose some weight, you want to, you know, get stronger, you want to get smart, whatever, whatever it is in your life, you want a better relationship, it involves pain and discomfort, right? And we as, as humans are, we are, you know, we have within us 
the thing that prevents us from going towards discomfort because you know our bodies are trying to protect us from us right so like we pull away from discomfort but every big thing involves discomfort like you look at any you know athletics is an easy you know analogy you look at anyone who's great at athletics who goes to the olympics you who is a you know great college player they go through discomfort every single day right and it's called training and the rest of us don't want to train don't want to be put in discomfort we just want people to tell us our ideas are great and we don't want to listen to feedback and then we wonder why we haven't grown and we haven't gotten better uh, oh but God. the model exists out in the in the universe it's out there just look at it it's all around us it's the natural tendency of humans though to run away yes. and want comfort i mean look at our society our society mm -hmm. is completely built on Comfort. comfort. I mean, even even social media, because you, totally. you, you can whittle down your you know your list of things that you follow to just people that uh, agree with you, and it's like an echo chamber. We've got the lazy boy couch <laughs> that goes exactly. back, and it's got the cooler in it. We got the humongous TV. I mean, it's like it's such a dichotomy. It seems. Yeah, and it's, you have to go back to you know, those fundamental lessons that exist in nature, right? We have to be put ourselves in these areas of discomfort to grow, whether it's to grow mentally, to grow physically, to grow emotionally. They all involve some level of discomfort. They don't feel good. There's, I haven't seen a, a, a point of rapid growth that someone goes through that just feels great the whole time through. And taking criticism from your customers, I mean, that's mm. got to... That's got to hurt because you've put so much pride and joy into the service or product that you provide. Oh, yeah. And they're telling you that you suck on a daily basis. And then you've got <laughs> to take that and, and make a new product for them. But oh, the, yeah. the, the customer's never happy. Never. I, I was talking to my co-founder, Elias, who's our CTO, yesterday. And we, we have like an internal joke, he and I, because he was off visiting some customers and some prospects. And all he was talking about was just taking a beating. He's like, I'm going from meeting to meeting. I took another beating, another beating. I'm on my knees again, just taking a beating and then repeated beating, beating, beating. Like that doesn't feel great. And, uh, and we joke about it, but that's what it is every day. You have to lean in and most people will run away from that. No, and they I, will never they, they listen to it. Yeah, I can't stand it. And so they'll run away from it and they'll, they'll wonder why they haven't figured something out or why their business is not working. It takes a daily practice of leaning into that. Just like it, just like it sucks if you have a personal uh, trainer or you have a bunch of friends you train with, like, and they go in and they they push you harder than you can push yourself. Like, that doesn't feel good. But guess what? You need that in order to grow. You got to. And then, so let me let me challenge you a little bit and say, yeah, like Steve Jobs, right? Mm -hmm. He he's almost like the polar opposite of this. And maybe I'm just reading into it, but he's almost like the polar opposite of this philosophy in that he was like, I know what the customer wants. I'm ahead of the customer. I'm going to get ahead mm. of the customer and, and create this product that is so forward thinking that they just have to have it, you know, but is yeah. he an anomaly? Um, no, in that he, no. he wasn't interested in what customers were saying almost. He wanted to push, push the thing forward, dent the universe. Yeah, he wanted to dent the universe. I think about it differently. I, uh, with Steve Jobs. One, I think people like to read that version of the story because that that um, validates what they want to do, which is not to listen to customers. But if you look at everything that Steve uh, Jobs put into the market, 
uh, they were all ideas and concepts that had already been validated by the customer, right? Whether it was the iPod, the iPhone, the Mac, the, the original Mac, the Lisa, these were all things that existed. These were not things that he created from whole earth and then created demand around them. He was creating better versions of these things, way better, you know, order of magnitude better, but they were concepts that existed. You know, when the iPhone came out, when was it, 07 uh, now? I had, I had old, I can show you old, junky, full screen concepts from back in the day, from the early 2000s that existed, that ran early versions of Linux, right? You had to be a crazy geek to run, that were already going down the road of the touchscreen phone with no buttons, right? That, that was already a concept that was already out there. To most people, they've never seen that. So they thought, oh, this is amazing. He invented something that never existed before. This existed before, right? Text messaging existed before. Cell phones existed before. A browser on a, on a device like that existed before, including on, on uh, the Treo, if many of you had Treos or Blackberries, it existed before. So what he did was amazing, but he wasn't creating new categories. He was create, democratizing categories by opening them up to the mass market. And so I'd say... I view differently. I'd say the other thing that's important about Steve Jobs is that he took the place of having to have the organization be close to the customer and to get that beating, that daily beating from the customer, because he gave them the daily beating. Mm. He gave his teams the daily beating, which is true. There's, there are different ways to run organizations. I don't, I'm not saying one is more successful than the other. But if you look at the people like that who people point out, Jobs, Elon Musk, Bezos, Look at the flip side. Look inside those organizations. You'll, you'll hear people saying that basically he is beating the pride, all three of those people, out of their organizations. Right? Okay. So he, they're, they are acting because they've got their reputation of being a manager is not good. Not good. Those but guys. what they're doing is yeah. someone – if we leave ourselves alone and we don't listen to customers yeah. and we don't have someone like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Bezos or others like that, then we are going to let each of us are going to, including myself, are going to let our pride get in the way, stubbornness get in the way. And then we'll be arguing internally and we'll be regressing the consensus and trying to come up. We'll go off and get lost. And high performing organizations like that either have to be oriented, I think, around the customer to be able to do that for you be close to the market, or have a leader like one of those who just happens to be right as well, who is going to, you know, take the pride out of their organization. And it's basically going to be the singular vision of how things are going to be done. There's going to be no discussion whatsoever and what they're doing. I haven't seen another model where there's this democracy that just decides, doesn't listen to customers, and they just decide what they want to do, and it's always right. I, I haven't seen it. Maybe it exists, but I haven't seen it yet. I think they went out of business, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I got an analogy for it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so so what you're saying is that that you, you need you need a personal trainer, drill yes. instructor, like with one of those Smokey the Bear hats and a, and a whistle, like just mm -hmm. just beating the <laughs> the crap out of you. It's either got to be some leader at your company or the customer. And in your case, you've gone to the yeah. customer because I don't know what kind of boss you are, but you don't seem like the type that would like, you know, like yell at me and do all this No, stuff. I don't yell. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I just, I, those are the only models that I've, I've seen. There could yeah. be other models. I just haven't seen them. And I haven't seen 
including myself, anyone, you know, a group of people able to be humble enough to have the humility that they need in order to be able to learn these lessons. Okay, so if anybody's listening to this on YouTube, leave it in the comments because Please. we want to know what the other models are. We want Teach to know. me. I'm looking. I'm seeking wisdom. That's the name of my podcast. I don't have wisdom. I'm seeking. I love it. And I love how you mentioned you write these blogs and stuff like that and, and you know, to, to remind you and to help you and to refocus yourself to get better. I mean, that's amazing because it seems like you and it's like, oh, this guy's got it all figured out, but you need to actually- No, I'm talking to myself. Yeah. <laughs> that's I'm telling you, I am talking to myself every day. I just got to remind it. And yeah. I got to, I got to post this again in a month because I have to remind myself again because we'll, we'll fall into these traps. Yes, I love that. Okay, I got I, one other thing I want to ask you about is sure. I look at, um, I wrote, this is my top performing tweet was when I, I said, you look at companies that take sort of a, a promising technological model and make it way better and then yep. have really good marketing. And I, I think about like Friendster, yep. or MySpace to Facebook. And then you yep. think about like, Atlassian, I can't remember what it's called, to Slack. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And then HipChat. Yeah, HipChat to Slack. And then, no offense, by the way, to Atlassian. Yeah. I think it's fine. <laughs> and then you take the crappy, I'm not going to name any names, but the crappy plug-in apps that go on websites to Drift. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and that was, when I made the, like, when I think about, you, you got, like, kind of, it's amazing idea that wasn't really executed well. And then you, you execute it well, and then you are good at marketing. You can make a great company. That's what I feel like you guys are doing. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. I think, you know, the way I look at it is with those examples like HipChat versus Slack and, you know, others like that, I kind of think about it as like, one, they did execute and they do have great, mar uh, good marketing and, and we're lucky to have that as well. But I think there's another dimension uh, that's missing there. And that dimension is that was the market ready for that thing or not, mm. whatever that thing was, right? And in the case of, let's use HipChat, for example. HipChat, which I was a user of and a fan, and I brought it into HubSpot when I was there, and then later we replaced it with Slack, but I'm a fan, and I, I knew the, the founders, good guys. But when HipChat was coming out in the market, that was pre all of us walking around with a smartphone, right? Before that was really normal, and before, all of us, meaning around the world, right? Some of us in the U.S. obviously had, had them at the time. But before messaging had become normal, because it wasn't normal. And uh, so if you're, you're, you're in your 20s, maybe, you know, young millennial, it's always been normal for you. But uh, it really has into the last, and this is what affected us as Drifts as well, because we've kind of risen because of this, and we started because of this. Before five to seven years ago, messaging was a thing for geeks. Right. Whether it was yes. uh, chat, you know, whether it was live chat on a website, it was weird. You know, it was weird to use it for support, but it was kind of freaky. Like, who's this person I'm talking to? It was a weird thing. Right. I'm assuming uh, you're not in your in your early 20s, David. So so I'm saying you and I, you know, grew up were around when it was kind of a fringe thing. And yes. guess what? Slack and hip chat. There was a thing called IRC 25 years ago. And that was, and I was using that, and it's no different than HipChat, no different than Slack today. Same exact thing. I actually use it as a teaching mechanism within my company for product uh, people, engineers and designers, where I will hold up a screenshot of IRC from 25 years ago and a screenshot of Slack today, 
And the first thing that they'll say is like, holy shit, they're exactly the same. Whoa. That's the point. What has changed though? The underlying thing that has changed is human behavior has changed. And so because of the smartphone in the last five to seven years, at billions of people around the world now think messaging is normal. And a lot of those people, a lot of the billions, default to messaging being their primary communication source. And as I'm guessing you and I, that was probably the phone and then email later, right? We didn't, we didn't grow up like that. They're growing up thinking this is the default thing. So that's the shift in the world that happened that made these things possible and to make them explode. And we're just riding on the momentum. Slack rides on the momentum as good as they are. We are riding them on that momentum on Drift. Others in the messaging world are riding that momentum. It wasn't that they created the momentum themselves. The change in the world happened. They happened to be at the right time and here's the luck. Or maybe had the foresight to start the companies at the right time to capture that change and ride that momentum. Yeah. I, I think also of Dropbox and, and Box. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Um, you know, they... The, that was because of the mobile phone. The, right, exactly. And then the huge file transfers. And and so let me ask you this. If someone's out there and they're like, God, how do I stay ahead of this? Because things are yeah. changing so fast and the trends, mm -hmm. you don't know what's going to happen five years from now. Is there some kind of framework for yeah. for like staying relevant because mm -hmm. things are mm -hmm. changing? I mean, change is the only constant now, it seems. Yeah, this is the way that I do it. And this is how I think about starting companies or products or things like that is that I am spending time looking and they're obvious. It's not like you have to go looking very far, but looking at the big changes that are happening in the world and when they are becoming normal, meaning like your, your, you know, your family and your friends, people outside of this world would think that they were normal and defaulting to them. And then I look at that change and then I look at whatever arena that I'm, I'm focused on, in my case, it's marketing and sales, revenue generation, but we focus there. Well, how's the world going to change because now messaging is normal? How's the world going to change because now everyone expects everything to look, to act like, like Uber or Lyft or, or any of these on-demand services, like where I can buy anything 24-7, 365 from anywhere? Well, how is marketing and sales going to change? Because that's the new normal. That's what's normal now. It's not because my software made it normal. It's already normal. People consider it normal. So I use that to kind of figure out, can we resegment a market? And so I would advise other people, just look at the changes that are happening all over the world. We have another massive change that's happening, which is more and more of the, the power is moving from companies and the suppliers, and it's moving to the hands of all of us, which is good news, the consumers, because we have infinite choice now in the things that we can buy and how quickly we can buy them. And that can be software, services, products, whatever. They can be for your business. They can be for your home. It doesn't matter. We have infinite choice, global choice now. So that's happening. So how do I rethink some market in that world where the shift is undeniable? You don't want to be at the beginning of the shift. You don't want to be helping create the shift. You want to be at the other end and be on the right side of history yes. and use the shift to push you. Yes, yes. And then ride the wave. You know? Yes, ride the wave. We used to say that back in the day, ride the waves. You got to, in the technology waves, waves and cycles happen, you got to be able to ride the waves. Yes, yes. I love it. And and it's so funny because yesterday I had a customer who wanted to buy tickets on Eventbrite mm -hmm. and yeah. they couldn't figure out how to buy the tickets. They kept mm -hmm. 404ing. And so I went to Eventbrite, the, no drift 
There was no drift yeah. box. I was just like, We're what? Starting the... to work with them. By and, the, way. And but, the, yeah, yeah. the guy, good. You, you could do it. You got to get in there fast. Because the, the guy, like, he's got a million choices. He can spend his money on five other mm. events. I've, yep. you know, he wants to spend his money. He's trying to spend his money and he can't figure it out. And I can't. He's trying to. He's, he's begging hold of anybody. He's David, please, can I buy a can, ticket? David, please, please take my money. The other quick thing is, like, you know, I, 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 I've got a niece who's um, 19 and, you know, she's all into Snapchat and, oh, yeah, and you, you, you were trying to gauge my age, Dave, I've got shirts that are older than 20 years old. So <laughs> let's just put it Me that too. way. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I've tried like on Snapchat and stuff like that. I don't know. I like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't know yep. why I would want to stick my tongue out and make it into yep. a dog and like put ears on and stuff <laughs> like that. But like, what, yep. what the hell is that? Like, can you explain that to me? What, what Snapchat is? That's yes. deep. Okay. <laughs> I think it's, a, I think it's a, interesting. You know, I was using Snapchat a lot for a little while, not using any of that stuff, but just using it. And then, uh, <laughs> I moved over to Instagram uh, stories, but I still use Snapchat a little bit. I think, I don't know, it's another way of expressing yourself. I think people are think it's normal because they've grown up, again, in that messaging environment where they feel they can be able to reach out and talk to anyone anywhere. And I bet you did just as many weird things, but in private, kind of at that same age, where you didn't think they were weird at all. But, but that was your context. That was the yeah. context that you grew up in. And this is their context. And so this is normal to them to be able to do that stuff. And that's what I mean by like looking at the world and saying, okay, what's going to change because people think they can like take a picture with their tongue stuck, uh, sticking out and now they're a dog. Something's <laughs> going to change. Uh, that's probably yeah. not at full mass uh, at the level of, let's say, messaging or some of the stuff that we're talking about, which, you know, you're probably your, your mom would understand messaging at this point and not Snapchat. But they are shifts that are happening. We need to pay attention to them. They're all around us. Yeah, and and one one thing, you know, the the companies are almost becoming like a commodity in that you can, you can spin up a company. Like when we were coming up, I mean, it was yep. pretty complicated to make a company. Very you know, complicated. Servers. Yeah. Well, now it's AWS and and stuff like that. What I think Drift has done tremendously, and it's a it's a huge plug for you and your team is you've brought some soul to the whole thing oh, and, nice, and you feel like you kind of know the people even though you've never met them because you do a lot with video and and it you know just bringing in things like snapchat uh like features or or you yeah, know yeah. whatever you know like getting ahead of the trends and bringing that in in a business environment mm -hmm. because what's the difference a business is just people made up of people and yep. and I think that you guys have done a tremendous job making that connection. Oh, thank you. It's a it's a lot of work, as you can imagine. Yeah, uh, to be able to do that. But it, it is because of we do it, and we one because it, we like doing it, and it's us. But two because of exactly what you said, which is it's so easy today to spin up a company or to copy an idea or copy a, a feature. So how are you going to stand out? So we sat and thought about that and said, when I was starting the company, I said, how do you build a moat today around your company, right? Because back in the day, in the first generation of SaaS, when, when Salesforce came into market, the moat was purely a technological moat. The fact that they could take something that looked like SAP or Oracle that was on-prem and they could take it off-prem and put it in the cloud and then let the VP of sales actually make the decision versus the CIO in terms of the buying, that was revolutionary. 
there was the moat, right? And after that, they built network effects and stuff, but that was the moat. And then in the second generation, what we did at HubSpot and other companies, Zendesk and all these companies that were in the second generation of SaaS, we built moats around around our what, what I call the factory. Basically, wasn't necessarily the technology, but it was like, what markets are we serving? What are what do our economics look like? LTV to CAC and payback periods. Do we have inside sales versus field sales? Do we have BDRs, SDRs, this, that, whatever? Like it was really, you know, I call it the Model T phase. It was like everyone was building their factory, and it was about like, is my factory more efficient or better than your factory? Or are we segmenting the market? Like we're doing SMB and you're doing mid market. That was really how you built your moat. But that doesn't. That's you had competitors. We had like. You know, less than ten competitors. Now you wake up, you have hundreds, if not thousands, of competitors in your category. So how do you stand out? It's not going to be by building a better factory. It's not going to be by technology. Those are, those are givens now. Those are givens. You have Every, to. That's table that. stakes. Table stakes, like the technology, anyone can do that. Oh, your payback period. Someone else somewhere in the different part of the world will have a better payback period because they're going to have lower costs. So it's no longer that. So now we think. You got to build a moat. You got to build an emotional moat. One around brand, and that's why we invest so much in brand and sharing who we are. One around the product, and uh, and then one around what we call service, right? And so we think it's the intersection of those three things that will allow us to build a moat. But no longer can you build a moat only on one dimension. We're in a different world now. No, it's amazing. I saw a video today with Dave. Gerhard and yeah. he had, he was saying, "Hey, we were just going to do a product launch, but then we talked to these five customers, and <laughs> we decided to scrap the product launch. We're going to go we back and, and and put in what they told us. You know, take a pause. You know, and it's so funny because it's like, yeah. man, I mean, you know, that's, that's just like we're we human. We're human. Yeah. We're talking to our customers. And the last quick thing is, I've been like." binge watching shark tank lately because i just oh, think yeah. it's a great it's like an mba on on youtube <laughs> but, but i just have it yeah. in the background and one of the first things they say is they go what are your numbers what are your margins da 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 yeah. okay what makes you different that's like they always ask that and and i love that concept of the moat that you put in because that really makes sense and and it, you know i think that gives us a great idea about you know what you're doing different and great things to think about dave well, thank you so much for having me on today, man. This was amazing. Yes. And I hope to see you soon yes. uh, in San Francisco, out in the sunny San Francisco. I'm cold out here in Boston. <laughs> I know. You, you have, you've planted your flag here. Mm -hmm. And I, I met the guy that you brought on who's like this yeah. mad genius. Yeah, Guillaume. Oh, my God. I, I cornered him on this boat. We were out on a oh, boat really? during yeah, Salesforce. Yeah. I was asking him all these questions, and he, he got really freaked out He's and eventually level. tried He's to level. find a different place in the boat. <laughs> it was like, is this guy going to chase me all over the boat? But he was he's so fascinating. Like I kept asking him questions, but anyway, he's, so... He's He's amazing. That's the yeah. reason we call him the mad scientist. I love it. So yeah, let's get you out here. Let me buy you a cup of coffee. I know you have your big conference coming up. You're doing a branch out in September here at yeah. um, the Hypergrowth. Kick so, off the week of, uh, of Dreamforce. So the week of Dreamforce Monday, that Monday, we will have Hypergrowth out in San Francisco at the Masonic, at the Masonic out there. And so we're we're aiming for 2,000 people to join us, 2,000 like-minded people to join us out here. And we're going to have Earlier in, in September, we're going to have hypergrowth here in Boston, hypergrowth East, and we're we're going to have about four thousand people here. Uh, Holy so cow! 
That yeah. is amazing, yep. dude. I'm so excited. If you guys haven't checked out the videos from Hypergrowth, a lot of the keynotes are online. Dave's keynote mm-hmm. is online. Definitely check that out. And Dave, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for being on the Sales Development Podcast. Thank you for staying strong, staying <laughs> after me. You have a lot to teach us in sales. Thank you. <laughs> okay, take care. All right, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.